Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor Tim Barone at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Well, grace and peace to each of you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. I encourage you to open to Matthew chapter 3. Uh, either on your phone or if you have a Bible in the pew in front of you, it's page 808. As we look at this event of the baptism of Jesus, uh, we are in the season of Epiphany, and in Epiphany we go through a series of kind of exploring the identity of Jesus. So we're going to have this sermon about uh, Jesus' baptism, which is one of the most important events in his life, uh, his earthly life. And then we're going to be going into the GD4L sermon series. And so we're going to be discussing what it means to be a disciple of this Jesus. But I want to unpack for you a little bit about what's going on in the baptism of Jesus. Why is this in the scriptures and what is it communicating to us? And I want us to ask a few questions uh, of ourselves today. Uh, And this is the first one. So... This is a participatory sermon for you guys. So can you ask this question to the person next to you? Go ahead. What keeps us from repenting? That's one question I want you to ask yourself. Ask the people around you. Here's a second question, and you'll do the same. Ask the person next to you. It's okay if you don't know them. This is a good way to get to know them. Ask them this question. Why was Jesus baptized? So I think these questions really drive our our thinking is the, as we interact with the text and the Spirit comes to us today through the Word of God. Before we come to these questions and we answer them together, uh, let's look at the context of what's going on. Let's look at the story of Jesus' baptism. And so beginning in chapter 3, we see John the Baptist on the scene. And John the Baptist is like a fiery, repentance wild man, right? He's coming, he's wearing camel skins, he eats bugs, he eats locusts. He doesn't care who it is, he's telling them to repent. And so look with me in uh, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, and I'll, I'll put it on the screen for us too. But in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so his main message is God's kingdom is coming to this earth. A complete change in authority, in government, in the system. It's that long-awaited messianic king. He's coming, and so be ready for his arrival. Right? That's his main message. A little later on in verse 6, people respond to this message. They start coming out to him as he's preaching in the wilderness. And it says in verse 6 that, They were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So people are coming out to him saying, yeah, I've messed up. I've been uh, anti-kingdom of God in my thinking and in my life. And I'm being, I want to be baptized for repentance. So good things are going on with the ministry of John the Baptist. And then he begins to tell us more about Jesus who's coming and how he's not Jesus, but there's someone who's greater. Look with me down to verse 11. It says, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, 
But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and fire. I'm going to pause right there and talk about it. Uh, If we look before and after this text, we see John the Baptist is talking about ultimate judgment. So just before this, he says, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He's talking about judgment. Just after this, this verse that's on the screen in verse 12, he says, His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So John the Baptist is talking about ultimate judgment or ultimate salvation here. He's saying the kingdom of God is coming, and either you're going to be baptized into Jesus and his kingdom, you'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit and brought into his kingdom, or You'll be baptized with fire, which is not a good thing. You'll be baptized and cleansed from the earth completely. Everyone see that? So that's the message that John the Baptist is proclaiming. He's saying the ultimate king is coming. To resist him is to choose death, right? To join him is to choose life. And that's his, uh, his proclamation into the world. Now, Jesus comes on the scene, and this is our text for today. In verse 13, it says uh, this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Look at John's reaction. It says, John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Now, let's stay there for a second, because let's think about this statement. He said, I I don't need to be washing you, Jesus. You need to be washing me. Now, think about John the Baptist for a second. John the Baptist is Jesus's cousin, right? In In the story of Mary visiting Elizabeth, John the Baptist jumps in his mother's womb when he hears the news of Mary's arrival, right? The mother of the Lord. And Elizabeth says, hey, my baby just jumped, right? Because he heard the voice of the mother of God right in front of me. So John the Baptist knows Jesus well. Now here's a question for you. How would you convince your cousin that you are God? How would, you, how would that go down? When I was a kid, I, we always used to get together with all my cousins. I think we had about nine cousins that would get together regularly. We'd all go to grandma and grandpa's house. And we'd all like sleep on the floor in sleeping bags. People don't do these things anymore, but this is what happened in my life. And we'd all hang out and get to know each other really well, be in the same space. And we'd play these grand board games like Risk. We'd play Risk for like three days straight. And after three days of playing Risk, everybody knows I'm not perfect, right? When the board gets flipped, when the dice are thrown, when the tears are, are falling to the ground. Everybody knows this person's not perfect, right? They see who you really are. Your cousins, your family get to see not only what you present on Instagram, right, but the problems in your personality and in your life. And so how does Jesus convince John that he really is God? 
And how does John actually know this and confess this? He says, this is the Lamb of God coming to take away the sins of the world. It's kind of profound that John knows this about him. He knows that Jesus is God. He knows that Jesus is that very Messiah. And so when Jesus comes, he says, I'm not going to baptize you. You have to baptize me. But look what Jesus says in response. And this is where we'll uh, start to wonder. Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. John baptized him. So I want you to wonder with me about that sentence. What does it mean that it's fitting to fulfill all righteousness that Jesus should be baptized as a sinner. So let's go back to our question for today. What keeps us from, from repenting? Uh, we all have a sinner within us, right? A sinful nature. And basically our sinful nature says, I want to be God. I don't want God to rule over my life. I'm the king, I'm the hero of the story. I call the shots. And we're really good at saying God is kind of like the animals at the zoo. They'll be there when I want to go see them and feed them, right? But besides that, I don't need God to be in my life. And that's our sinful imagination of God is that he is someone small and controllable and that we're really the king. That's our sinful natures. We're God. No one's going to call us to account. We're in control. And so there's a lot of forces in our lives that cause us to not repent. Repenting is changing our minds to agree with God, right? It's to have a, a mind change to say, you know what? I agree with God's judgment. I agree with his assessment in this life. And I'm going to join his mindset in this. It's a change of our hearts where we say, I desire to go with God on this one instead of going with myself, with my own judgments. And it's a change of habits. Uh, just before this, John the Baptist said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That means change your behavior, change your pattern of life, bear fruit in accord with your agreement with God. Uh, Romans chapter 12 uh, gives this to us as well. It says, do not be conformed, uh, do not be conformed to the thinking of this world, but be, be transformed by the renewal of your minds. And so we are to change our minds, and that's what the life of repentance is. That's the life of being a Christian, is to conform our minds, our hearts, and our actions to what God has proclaimed in this world, right? Amen? But there's these forces that cause us to say, I, I don't think so. And so I want to explore those with you. One is just denial, right? Uh, John the Baptist says, either you'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit or you'll be baptized by fire. And a lot of us in our hearts just say, nah, that's not going to happen. So we just deny that God actually is the king, right? We just demote him below us and we just say, yeah, it's never really going to happen to me. Uh, Anyone catch some football in the last couple of weeks, you probably saw uh, DeMar Hamlin. Uh, he was a Buffalo Bills uh, football player. After a play, he just collapsed and had a heart attack. This man's like at the peak of his life, 
prime. He's more fit than anyone in this room. And he just collapsed, had a heart attack. And a lot of the newscasters, a lot of the sports commentators were saying, man, it just hits you, right? It just, you just see for a second how vulnerable we really are, just anybody, right? It's not supposed to happen to a, a young athlete like that. And for some people, they'll see this, and it might stir them to the reality to break their denial, to say, uh, I'm never going to have to stand before God. I'm never going to have to give an account for my actions, for my faith before God. I'm never going to have to do that. Some people will be stirred and say, yeah, actually, I'm mortal, just like this young man, and I need to get right with God. I need to be sure that my relationship with my creator is strong. But you know what? A lot more people will look at this and see it, and then they'll go on with the rest of their life. They won't think about it. They won't digest the reality of their mortality, their vulnerability. They, they won't think about the reality that we all must stand before our creator to give an account of our lives. And so they won't repent because they'll push that away. They'll deny the reality. Other reasons uh, we don't repent uh, of our sins um, I call this kind of the, the fallacy of they can't punish us all. Um, when I was in grade school, there was this one day where the teacher, the math teacher, did not show up. Didn't show up. Bunch of kids just in the classroom, just looking around, goofing off, you know. Teacher never showed up. <laughs> it's a great day, isn't it? <laughs> And everyone was like talking about, it. this is great. If we just stay here, we get a whole hour just to mess around. We don't have to have any class or anything because they can't punish us all. Well, is that true? <laughs> no, they can punish you all, right? There's one girl in our class who saw through that fallacy and said, you know what, I'm going to go and, and talk to some authority, tell them what's going on. Make sure that there's a teacher in the room. And we're all so mad at her. Stop it. What are you doing? You know, they can't punish us all. But she, she saw that, yes, they can, right? Similarly, when we think about our God, uh, a lot of times we'll say, you know what? If we just do the same thing that everyone in our culture is doing, he can't be mad with us all. He can't punish us all. And so we'll, like lemmings, We'll follow along with our culture. We'll walk down the same path. We'll fall off the cliff. And we'll just think, oh, God's got to let some of us go. Which this is just false thinking. Uh, this creation belongs to God. If the entire world stood up and said, God is wrong on this issue. God is not to be trusted on these words. If the entire creation stood up and said that, would it change his mind? Would it change his justice? Or would what he say prevail over all the nations, over all the peoples? And so when we see what our culture is saying, what our world is saying, what the internet is saying, we say, yeah, that seems about right. But God's word says, no, it's not right. Who are we going to go with? The foolish thought says, I'm just going to go with the crowd because God, 
can't be mad with us all. He can't punish us all. But wisdom says, no, I'm going to trust God uh, in this. And then there's kind of a half-hearted repentance. You know this, you know, if you have kids and you tell them, say you're sorry, and they say, sorry. Right? And we do the same thing. Adults do the same thing, kids. You know, not just picking on you. Adults do the same thing. We say, I'm sorry, but you were doing this. Right? I'm sorry, but if you just knew the situation, right, you would understand why I did it. We have a half-hearted apology, right? We have factors that excuse us. We're not very good at saying, it's my fault. It was me. I, I have no excuse. It was me. Will you forgive me? Is there anything I can do to make up for this? I see the debt. We actually have to teach, try to teach kids to do this and teach our own selves to do this. And you know the difference between an apology that's meaningful and an apology that's flippant. The, um, the tax collector in Jesus' parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, he shows us true repentance when he's, he beats his breast, the Bible says. And he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's true repentance. You know what true repentance looks like. Because a lot of times we try this half-hearted repentance before God. I'm sorry, God, because you caught me. Because there's a consequence now for what I've done. Or, I'm sorry because I see something I want, and if I just jump through these hoops and I say it, I'll get what I want. Right? And this is this half-hearted repentance, but God sees the heart, and he weighs our intentions. He knows the truth. And finally, that what would make us resist repenting is a hopelessness. And I think this is maybe the most demonic of all of these, is to say, I don't believe that God would forgive me if I repented. And I don't believe he can change me. So I'm just stuck with this sin. I'm stuck with the guilt. And so I'm not even going to voice this cry to God because I don't believe him to be merciful. And so all of these pressures would cause us to not repent. And so often it, it makes our repentance trivial before God. It makes our repentance thin and laughable and not honest. And that's our problems with repentance. But let's ask our second question now. Why was Jesus baptized? Why was Jesus baptized? Why did he have to do this to fulfill all righteousness? You see it, don't you? I hope so. The first reason that Jesus was baptized is this, to fulfill true repentance for you. You see, Jesus took on human form to live righteously, to live perfectly. And so for all of the times that we failed to repent, we don't care what God says. For all of the times we half-heartedly repent, I'll do it because I got caught. For all of the times we just simply say, no, I'm in charge and God's not. Jesus steps into the water to be counted as a sinner and says, I'll take the blame. I'm responsible. I'm the guilty one. I'm the sinner. I'm sorry. 
See, Jesus steps into the water to be numbered as one of us and to take on our sins. Isn't it amazing to think about that God loves you so much that he would send someone to repent in your place for all of the times your repentance was false and laughable. Jesus repents for us. Jesus shows us what it means to truly take responsibility and to ask for mercy from the living and holy God. He is numbered as a sinner and baptized for repentance that he didn't need, but you did. Second thing is when he was baptized, he took on the sins of the world. Before this, we don't know much about Jesus's life. We don't know much about what he was doing as he grew up. He's living a normal, ordinary life. He was a builder with his dad, right? We don't hear too much about it after his birth. But here, Jesus's ministry goes from simple to complex, doesn't it? Jesus' ministry goes from kind of hidden to now he's in the limelight. As soon as Jesus is baptized, he's thrown into the desert to be tempted by the devil, and he begins his three-year ministry, which eventually goes to the cross. Here at his baptism, Jesus becomes the Lamb of God who takes on the sin of the world. So when Jesus was baptized, he was flooded with the sins of the world. This is where he became, he was pointed out as the Messiah, the chosen servant of God, the chosen one to bring reconciliation between heaven and earth. Jesus was saddled with our debt and the debt of the world. So when Jesus went into the water, he's not being baptized for righteousness like you and I, he's being baptized into our sin. Our sin. In that time, Jesus became the murderer. Jesus became the one filled with lust. Jesus became the one who betrays. Jesus became the lazy one. Jesus became the sinner. Jesus took on the sins of the world at that time, and he marched them to the cross where he was crucified and put to death. And the blood that came from his veins is the crimson washing that you receive, that you are baptized into. You see, Jesus was baptized into our sin, but you have been baptized into his righteousness. And that's our final point. Jesus took on our sin in his baptism. He was pointed out as the Messiah to deal with it. You, when you're baptized, you're baptized into his righteousness, into his perfect repentance, into his perfect love for humanity, into his perfect faith before God the Father. So that when God looks at you, you're the righteous one. You're the holy one. You're the one who has done all things well. Not because of what you have done, but because what Jesus has done and because you have been baptized into him. And this brings us back to our text. If you want to open it up with me again. We'll look at the very baptism of Jesus. What happens? 
And when Jesus, this is verse 16, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The voice of God is once again over the waters, just like in the beginning of creation, declaring to us and to all people, this is the Messiah, this is the chosen one, the anointed Son of God. And what's so beautiful about this is, this is the same words that God now speaks over each one of us in our baptisms. You are my beloved child. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. Because you have been baptized into Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Uh, Romans 6 that we read this morning, it tells us that we have all been baptized into Christ's death. So that we can be baptized into his life. So we can walk with him in newness of life and be resurrected with him. You have been joined with Jesus. He has taken your sin, and you have taken his righteousness. You are inseparably joined with Jesus in your baptism. And this, friends, is what helps us to truly repent. The Lord has filled us with his spirit, has called us his beloved sons and daughters. And so when we see the sins that threaten us, that cling on to us, it becomes easy for us to repent truly because we see the truth. We know that God's kingdom has come. We know that no one outside of Christ, outside of the cleansing that's in his baptism, will be in his kingdom. We see the truth and we see through the lies. And we can easily give up these sins that attack us by repenting truly. Because we see our Savior, we see his kindness, and we see the future that we have in his kingdom. And so, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, do not be conformed to the thinking of this world. Do not be pressured into unrepentance, but rather agree with God in your minds about what is true, what is false, what is right, what is wrong. Repent and be baptized in Christ the Lord. And it's in his name that we ask this. Amen.